Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Thursday, November the 16th, and as uh, the intro just said, that's my father reading it, this show has no time for comforting lies. Today is going to be probably a little bit heavier than some of ours. Yesterday, we had a little bit of fun. Today is going to be a serious topic with a serious person. I don't always say that we have a special guest. I think that's kind of silly that people always say that sort of thing. We really do have a, a lovely person to talk to. We're going to be talking to Jerry Perna in just a moment, and we're going to be telling a story that is uh, should trouble you. Many of you are going to be at least a cursory familiarity with what she's about. You may have seen her in the new movie, Police State, which we're going to run the trailer for one more time so you guys get kind of a, a prep for it. Before we get into the interview, I want to get all the sponsors, and I want to say thanks to all the people that support our show right up front and right away. So we're going to do that right now. If you guys don't mind, we're going to front load it. Let's start talking about my friends over at Patriot Coolers. You can go to patriotcoolers.com, use promo code Kyle. That saves you 10%. Uh, what do they sell? They sell soft-sided and hard-sided coolers. They sell tumblers, like the one I've got sitting on on my desk right here. This one is already empty, my 16 ounce. That's what I start with, folks. I start with the bigger one and then I burn through the 19 ounce. You can see the tumblers there. Use my promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, gets you 10% off. Free shipping is always the case after you get the $50 mark. Pretty easy to do. And they support the Kyle Serafin Show. They support veterans in this country who have mobility issues. What's better than that? Houston-based Texas company, just like we are, Texas-based, it says Patriot on it. You're not a Yeti. You are not a uh, whatever other things are. I saw the other one in, uh, in the back of a truck the other day said Lifetime. You're not a Lifetime. You're a Patriot. Get a Patriot cooler. Do that. Let's also talk about four Patriots. We have a theme here. You guys might recognize it. The four Patriots, the number four Patriots.com slash Kyle. Some emergency food and some preparation ideas. If you guys want to prepare for a pending disaster, this is how you can go do it. Use our promo code K-Y-L-E. You'll save money on all the items that they have on there. Uh, get yourself figured out. Do not be one of those people that's looking around when something goes wrong and you try to figure out what happens in the moment. If you fail to plan, you are, in fact, planning to fail. Check out the Family Emergency Supply Bundle. You can check out their emergency food. You should keep it with you where you go so you have it. You've got other options there for power. You never know. Comms devices, water filtration, all these kind of things. The number four, patriots.com slash Kyle. Fourpatriots.com slash Kyle. Let's do one more. Uh, let's thank Michael Lindell. He's actually been really great. Sent us a check really recently. MyPillow.com slash Kyle. K-Y-L-E at the end of it. MyPillow.com slash Kyle. Or just go to the website. Use my promo code Kyle. You get all the discounts you'd get from anybody else. But you can uh, support our show with it. And they do, in fact, send us money. So we are very appreciative. Mike Lindell, a good guy. One of those funny people in the world who has really turned his life around and managed to do something pretty great. I know a lot of you guys know he's been persecuted and prosecuted by the FBI. They came and stole his phones and got into it with him. Go check out his pillows. Check out his towels. Check out what you're into. I'm going to get some of that stuff sent over here. I need some new slippers. I am in the market. So Christmas is coming up. Check it out. MyPillow.com slash Kyle, K-Y-L-E. There it is. Okay, we've run it as far as we want to go. Let's get deep into this thing. Like I said, a very special person, Jerry Perna. She's going to tell us her story. I want to first just welcome you on. Thanks for joining me, Jerry. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Thank you for having me, Kyle. Thanks for thanks for your patience, kind of waiting on us, getting set up here. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this because I think I have some questions that you might answer in the way you answer some of the other questions, but there's some specific things about the story that I want to know. I've never heard them discussed before, so we're going to dig deep. We'll take as long as it takes and as much time as you want to give us. Um, first of all, it was really nice seeing you the other day in, in Miralago with the Police State film. Uh, tell us how you were approached to go out in that, and then I'm going to get into who you are and, and some of the story that got you involved as well. Uh, well, Dinesh and I met um, a couple of months after Matt after Matt's ordeal, and uh, 
I had told him, I said, if you ever decide to do a documentary on this, I would gladly participate or contribute anything you need from me. And lo and behold, Dinesh reached out to me in the spring and asked me if I would be willing to participate. And that was this spring. So that came together pretty quickly, I guess. I didn't know what the uh, the prep time on that was. Um, let's ro- we're going to roll the trailer. We're going to have you watch it. And I know this is emotional for a lot of my my viewers. It's kind of emotional for me and you because we both have different angles of this sort of story. But it's uh, definitely impacted our life, the weaponization that's gone on. And then uh, we're going to hear about you. We're going to hear about Matthew. And we're going to hear about how that's changed dramatically. I think probably the arc of your life as well. And uh, let's let's do that real quick trailer so people get a taste of it so they can see who you were in the movie, although you look just the same, I think. We honor you, Father, for all that you've done for us. Chief Division Counsel and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at. And then we go find out what crime you did. Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. It's really hard to watch that. Um, I want to start with who you are, Jerry, as a person. Let's start back with that story, and I, I know family is going to be part of that. So tell people where you're from and where you grew up, if you would. Well, I grew up in Pennsylvania, a small steel town in western PA. I was there most of my life, and um, about six years ago, I moved to Florida. I got tired of the politics in Pennsylvania. I needed a change. I needed a change of scenery. I needed sunshine, and I moved to Florida. My family still resides there. Um I travel up there less often than I used to, and I am the aunt of Matthew Perna. Now, let's talk about family a little bit, because that's, I think, so relevant to this story. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, your nephew is Matthew Perna. We're going to talk his story as we do it. I want to kind of get the background of how your your family works. Uh, maybe you could talk about the, the home that you grew up in, and, you know, are you, uh, was it a brother or sister that is the uh, the father or the uh, the mother of Matthew that you're related to? Just kind of that whole dynamic. As I said, I grew up in a steel town, and my dad worked in a steel mill, just like most people's fathers did up there. Mm -hmm. Um, I had four older brothers. I'm the youngest, the only girl. Italian family, um, very close. Um, Everybody is still very close to this day, and we see each other as much as we can. Both of my parents have passed on, but my brothers and I have a great relationship. We have a slew of nephews and nieces. we were not raised in a wealthy home by any stretch. We were all taught to be hard workers. We had to work for everything we got. All of us had jobs by the time we were 15 years old. And um, 
my brothers and all of their kids, I mean, were instilled with the same values. We went to church on Sunday. We were raised Catholic and um, no one in my family had ever gotten in any trouble of any kind. Um, everybody held good jobs and has done well in their life. And what was your connection? What was your relationship like with Matthew when he was growing up? I've seen some videos of him in the movie. I think they play some, which are really pretty heart-wrenching. They look like my childhood. It looks like a lot of my friend's childhood, kind of idyllic. Maybe kind of talk about growing up around all those nieces and nephews. Well, Matthew is the son of my oldest brother. My oldest brother is 10 years older than I am. And I was very close to um, his wife, Matt's mom. Uh, she was the sister I never had. So I was around Matt quite often when he was growing up, Mo probably more so than my other nieces and nephews because of my relationship with his mom was so close. Um, so Matt was just, um, he was just this wonderful child and, and so inquisitive, always asking questions, always wanted to learn. And he continued that throughout his life. He, he studied everything. He was very intelligent as a child. Um, he had this fascination with the American flag at a very young age. I don't know what it was, but every time he saw one, he would point at it. If it was on television, he would point it out. And he liked wearing red clothes, red and blue clothes. And it's funny because most of his baby pictures, you'll see him wearing red, white, and blue often. And he grew up loving this country. And again, he was raised with the same values that his father and I were raised with. Um, had a job at a very early age, went on to college, and and was just a very hard worker. What kind of uh, interest did he have when he was in high school and in college? Kind of, you know, what was he interested in, and you know, what kind of things did you see him spending his time during those? You know, we gonna I want to know what the people are behind the headlines more than anything else. Matt was Matt loved basketball. He was very tall. He loved playing basketball. He never played it like on a organized college team or anything. He played it in high school. Um, he loved music. We were all raised with music in our house because my father played piano and he taught all of us how to play piano. And Matt's father excelled at it so much so that he got a degree in music and he instilled that love of music into his kids. And Matt played piano as well as saxophone. Um, but he had this he had this itch to travel. Matt loved to, to travel to other places. And he did. He traveled the world, and um, that was one of the things he loved the most. He loved meeting other people from other cultures. He loved learning about other cultures, trying their foods. He was just a very um, diverse person. It sounds like he probably was pretty open-minded. What kind of places did he go to? What kind of experiences did he bring back and relate to you? Matt liked to visit countries that most people didn't want to visit. He visited Vietnam. He went to India. He was in Peru, um, Thailand, South Korea. Um, he did make his way to Italy and Poland. Um, but when he went to a town, he didn't like staying in a, in a five-star hotel. He liked staying amongst the locals. He would rent a room or something, or like an Airbnb, where it was not the, the most expensive one. He wanted to be where the locals were. He wanted to get the true experience everywhere he traveled. And he did just that. What year was Matthew born? Do you know, or, or roughly within? Uh, Matthew was, let's see, 37. Mid-80s? I can't remember. Okay. 80s. Mid-80s. Okay, so he grew up, and he's probably 
was the age of my my younger brothers, sisters, and things like that. So I'm just trying to give people a context, the America that he grew up in. And maybe the America that you grew up in, you can talk about that as well. Because I think that we have a very different country, especially after just watching that trailer for Police State, than, than I grew up in and then I imagine you grew up in. We came from different parts of the country. Maybe talk about the, the view of America. He loved it. He wore the American flags. I think I had some of those too, to be honest with you. Uh, right. I, I'm curious about how that sort of evolved. But what was America like when he was a kid in your in your recollection? I was just having this conversation with somebody the other day and they were saying, don't you wish we can go back to the 80s? Mm-hmm. I do wish we can go back to the 80s because the 80s was before the Internet and social media started. Um, life was much simpler then. Life was easier then um, and less stressful. I think that with the development of social media and the Internet, it has definitely changed the course for the entire world, not just America, but it has made growing up much more difficult. And I'm thankful that I grew up at a time where we didn't have that uh, social bullying and social media bullying and things of that nature. And Matt grew up during that time as well. Matt had a, he had a very soft heart when it came to people. And I think Part of this is because Matt's aunt on his mother's side was severely um, mentally handicapped, severely. And Matt grew up with this aunt, and her name was Linda, her, his aunt Linda, knowing that aunt Linda had disabilities. And he was very close to her and he was very compassionate. And I think that that molded Matt in many ways. Um, and it, it made him a much more loving, kind person. I believe that had an impact on him. Was he an only child? Did he have siblings? He has a younger brother who likes to keep his life private. Well, that makes sense to me. <laughs> I wish some of us could keep our lives private. I know that's not an option mm-hmm. anymore. There, there is something about that analog childhood. Um, it, it's so interesting. My wife and I continue to have these conversations about wouldn't it be nice to be able to go back before anti-social media, before all this, you know, followers and, and tracking what you're up to and before all the comment sections and all the other things. It used to be that you have to say something to somebody's face. And it turns out most people have probably not said very many nasty things to your face that they would say on, on the Internet, I have to imagine. At least that's my experience. I would have to agree with that. There are your keyboard warriors and they can be quite brutal. Talk and, about, um, yeah, talk about some I, of the ugliness you've seen out there, because I know you get it. I know I get it. Uh, everybody gets a different taste of it, different segment of society. Maybe kind of highlight some of that. I do. I get a lot of that. And I get a lot of anonymous emails sent to me with words that are just so hateful and so obscene. I can't even repeat them out loud. And I quite frankly am more disheartened by the amount of hate in our world than anything else. Because, I mean, we're talking about I'm the survivor of a family member who's gone, and yet you need you feel the need to put salt in my wounds. I, I don't understand the level of hate that we have reached, and I don't know. Maybe it is because they are keyboard warriors who can say whatever they feel like without being exposed as to who they are. But I, I, just, I wish we could go back to a time when that wasn't possible. Yeah, I wonder why there's so much. I think it's sort of impotent rage. I just wonder if you have any reflection on it because I, I continually think about this. Why, why are they so? Why are people so angry? They didn't know you. They didn't know Matthew. He didn't affect their lives in any meaningful way. Like they never came across him. How is it that these people 
are so furious, it seems, that they would send some of the most nasty bile to someone they've never met. Like, what, what, would, what would make that happen? To be honest with you, I'm going to just say it. I think, I think some of them are soulless. I really do. We have reached a point where God is not important in many lives of many people. Many people are being raised without God in their life at all. You have a generation of children that don't know why we celebrate Christmas. And I think that a lot of this is, is the reason people are the way they are. They have no fear of God because they don't believe in him anyway. So I think, I think that they don't feel that there will be any repercussions for their actions. And they feel that because they're doing them anonymously, that they, don't, they aren't as impactful on themselves. Are they, though? I don't know. I think they are. I think they're going to pay a price someday. They're going to be surprised. You mentioned growing up in a Catholic family. I, I have the same experience. Um, you mentioned people not having God in their life, which I think I, I see that as well. I think you're correct in that analysis. Um, did Matthew have a faith that he practiced? And, and if so, what was that like? Yes, we were all, like I said, we were all raised in a Catholic upbringing. But um, Matt, like myself, we, we left the Catholic religion um, we just weren't in agreement with a lot of the um, rituals and things that take place and the cover-ups within the Catholic Church we became quite disgusted with. Um, so Matt was a born-again Christian, as am I, um, and we went to non-denominational churches. Um, but we were raised to go to church on Sunday. You know, we were raised with values. We were raised to pray before we ate. Um, and Matt carried that throughout his life. And he had a Bible that I don't think there's one page in Matt's Bible that isn't written on. He put notations on every page. I don't know how many times Matt read through the Bible, but I know it was several times. And um, he, he had a close walk with God. Let's talk about how the, he was traveling, he got out of college. What did he do for work when he got out of college? He took a regular nine to five job in Tom's River, New Jersey, working for a company and um, it was an office job. And I just, I knew it was not something Matt wanted to do. Matt was a free spirit. He didn't belong in an office. But nonetheless, he stayed with this company for a couple of years and they had an opening in their office in Pittsburgh. And he decided to take the office job in Pittsburgh and he moved back that way. This way he was closer to family. Um, and he worked there for a little while and there were gonna be some cutoffs, some layoffs in the job. In the, in the company. And Matt had befriended a black gentleman that worked in the warehouse at the company. And when it was announced that there were gonna be layoffs, he found out that this, this person was gonna lose his job. And Matt just did not like working for a nine to five type of job. He did not like that atmosphere, it wasn't him. And he went to his boss and he said, if you could get rid of me, but keep the guy in the warehouse. Would you do it? And he says, well, we, we just have to make cutbacks, you know, and wherever we make them, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as long as we show that we've cut back some, some expenses. So Matt took the uh, firing and the guy in the warehouse got to keep his job. Wow. And I, I was, I knew that from that point, Matt was going to do great things because now he was able to spread his wings. And he got involved in, in some different um, holistic type products and he started marketing those and he excelled in it. Um, but 
prior to really taking off in that, he had heard about this opportunity to teach English in a foreign country. And he, he applied and he went to work in Thailand and he taught English in Thailand for a year to elementary school children. And he loved it. He loved it. And when that contract was over, he applied for another and he worked in South Korea doing the same thing. And um, Matt would use his weekends to explore the country or, or breaks to go to neighboring countries and um, learn the culture, learn the language. He knew several languages traveling as much as he did. He wanted to go to Italy to meet our family in Italy. So he took a course in, in Italian and he was speaking fluent Italian. So when he went to Italy, he could speak to our family. He was just brilliant. And um, so when he was in Korea teaching, it, we got news that his mom had gotten leukemia. And I texted him and I told him, I said, Matt, I think you need to come home. So Matt came home and he dove back into his holistic medicinal um, cures and he wanted to help his mom get through this. And he researched everything. And he found out about alkaline water, alkaline water being health, the health benefits of alkaline water, especially to someone with cancer. And Matt purchased this Kangen water filtration machine for his mom. And he had her drinking this water. Well, this led to other things. Matt found out the benefits of drinking alkaline water and he started selling the machines himself. Well, they were expensive and not everybody could afford one. But he knew there were people that could benefit from drinking this alkaline water. So he calls me one day. He says, Aunt Jerry, he says, I need to get these BPA-free um, containers for water. And he said, have you seen any anywhere? So I'm telling him, well, let me look when I'm out. I'll make sure I'll let you know. So everywhere I went, if I saw them, I would tell him about them. And I finally said, Matt, what are you doing with all these containers? He said, well, there's people that could benefit from this water, but they can't afford the machine. So I'm using my machine and I'm filling up these containers and I'm delivering the water to their house. I said, you're selling water? He said, no, Aunt Jerry, I'm just giving it to them. They can use it. They need this water. It's going to help them. That's the type of person he was. And he was into CBD oil. He sold for hemp works. And I mean, he did quite well. He did not believe in the modern medicines that the pharmaceutical companies push. He did not believe in vaccines. He did not believe in chemotherapy as much as he wanted his mom to avoid that route. She didn't. And he watched her deteriorate. He watched her body just deteriorate. But he did his best, he did, to help her as much as he could to get through it. And um, Matt never had health insurance. He never believed that he would go to a hospital or a doctor for anything, and he never did. He was quite healthy. Yeah. But that's a, his you mom know, ended up dying. And I think that's the question that so many people, myself included, I, I come from, from this sort of investigator background where I'm always like, what's the story there? And when I heard kind of the, the Brandon Straka, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, and was sitting on a panel with you in front of some members of Congress, he answered it very briefly for me what it was. And so I kind of knew where that would go. But I, but I think a lot of people would look. They say, look, why is his aunt the one who's out there speaking on his behalf? And that's the story. The story is that his mother's passed away and, mm -hmm. and she was your dear friend, it sounds like. She was very close. Like I said, she was a sister I never had. 
She had come through a bone marrow transplant. She was doing great. She was down to only having to go in to have her blood work done every two weeks just to check her levels. Um, it was on a Sunday. I was on the couch with her watching movies at her house. And she told me she had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday, no, Monday morning. And um, she went. And it was supposed to be an ice storm that day. And they got a late start. And the, the appointment was in Pittsburgh. So they told my brother, you know what, just leave her here overnight because we don't want you driving home in this ice storm later on and pick her up in the morning. So my brother went home. In the morning, he called down to tell his wife that he was on his way to get her, and she didn't answer the phone in her room. And he called again, and the doctor answered the phone. And he told my brother, he said, I'm sorry, we're, we're having some issues here. Your wife is having trouble breathing. Um, we'll talk more when you get here. And he hung up on him. So my brother and Matt and Matt's brother, they jumped in the car. They drove down to Pittsburgh, and he calls me on the phone. And he, I was working at my shop, and he says, we have a problem. I said, what's going on? He said, they want to put her on a, a ventilator. I said, a ventilator? What are you talking about? I was just watching TV with her on your couch yesterday. What's going on? And um, they thought she had contra contacted um, pneumonia. I said, this is impossible. And I said, what do you need me to do? He said, I need you here with me. So me and two of my brothers jumped in the car in the middle of an ice storm that came later that day. And we drove to Pittsburgh. And uh, we walked in and there was my sister-in-law laying on a bed with 15 tubes coming out of her, including a ventilator. My brother was just sobbing. My, ne my nephews are sitting on the floor, just didn't know what to do. And here we later found out that she had been given bad blood. There was a bacteria in the blood. It gave her a blood infection. And she died that night. Wow. And we couldn't believe it. And everything that Matt had felt about the pharmaceutical industry and the hospitals and the doctors came true. It was true. And he blamed them completely for his mom's death. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, there's so many instances of medical malpractice and malfeasance and mistakes that go on in this country. And I think a lot of people don't realize how many they are, but your story is one of, of, of 500 plus thousand, I think, if I if the numbers are correct. I mean, it's the, one of the single biggest causes of death is just accidental, bad mm -hmm. treatment uh, in traditional, what we call traditional medicine now, but it's really just Western medicine. Uh, I think a lot of people are starting to open their eyes up to that. What year did this happen, if you don't mind me asking? That was eight years ago, nine years ago. Okay. Yeah. And and I wanted to, to dive back in. You when, when you said that Matthew was overseas and he was teaching English, which sounds like a wonderful experience for somebody to, to be involved in, were you in contact with him when he was overseas? Was, would he call you and do FaceTimes or, or uh, Skype or any of those things? We would do texting and we kept in touch on social media, on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And Matt sent postcards. Matt sent in his lifetime thousands of postcards. And I don't mean a type of postcard where you get and you say, oh, having a great time, wish you were here. Mm -hmm. No, he sent beautifully written postcards to give you that feeling like you were there with him experiencing the things he was experiencing. He belonged to some kind of an online postcard club where you were given um, four names a week to send a postcard. And in turn, your name was given to four strangers somewhere in the world and you would receive postcards. So this got Matt on this postcard kick and he sent postcards to everybody he knew. And I'm still getting people sending me pictures of the postcards that they had received from Matt at one time or another. That's a really special gift to be able to still have. Uh, this is not someone who 
fits into the profile that most people would think of as the as we're hearing over and over the dehumanizing language towards people who supported President Trump, the maggots, and people are saying things like MAGA extremists and all these ugly things. I, I wanted to dig into the story because I know there was so much more there. I know what a kind person you are since we've met a couple times in person and how much this moved you. So I appreciate you staring, sharing some of that. Did his uh, How did his mother's death affect his outlook on life? You, you just said that he didn't like the what happened in the, in the hospital system, but I'm curious if that changed his positivity at all. It changed a lot of things for him. Um, his father has Parkinson's and, um, you know, of course he, he had just lost his wife. It was, it was devastating. And Matt had decided at that point that he was going to stay close to home. He wasn't going to work abroad anymore. It changed the entire course of the rest of his life. He didn't want his father to be by himself because his brother already worked in another part of the country. And, you know, he didn't expect him to give up his job and move back to this decrepit steel town, former steel town. So Matt decided he would stay where he was at and he would somehow try to um, expand his business. And he did. Like I said, he did quite well at it. Um, but he wanted to be there for his dad. And he was. And he's not the typical January 6th story that the media likes to portray. He was the exact opposite. Um, he wasn't a political person. He did manage to get a networking group started in this small town. You have to understand this town is very depressed. Businesses have shut down, empty buildings everywhere. Since the steel industry is no longer their primary source of income, there really isn't a lot to keep anybody there. The kids graduating high school and going off to college don't come back to live there. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of... Um, it was kind of sad that Matt had to go back and live in this town, but he just felt like he needed to be there for his dad. And he was up until, of course, January 6th. Yeah. As we're hearing the story, I'm, I'm curious, was there any romantic involvement in his life over the that time that you could speak about? He did. He Matt had different girlfriends. He had a girlfriend in Korea that she wanted to get married a little too to, to more, much more than he did. So that one didn't work out. And then he had a girlfriend in Pennsylvania, um, but up until January 6th, and then on when all of that went down, she broke up with him and he, and he was quite devastated by that. Mm -hmm. um, she was definitely not on the same uh, playing field as he was politically, and it, was, it caused a clash in the relationship. Um, and then he met another girl, um, online in Florida, actually. And they were, they were seeing each other, um, off, you know, through, through traveling back and forth. Um, but he, he wanted to get January 6th and this mess out of the, out of the way before he could fully commit to her. I think so many people that dealt with that and have it hanging over their head, even to this day, it's like their life has been put on pause and it didn't really change from January 7th, 2021. It's just been a perpetual waiting cycle. Like they can't make big decisions. They don't want to buy houses. You know, they don't want to move families because God knows what's going to happen next. I think that's pretty common. Um, exactly. You, you said girlfriend um, broke up with him over the January 6th thing. You're in the we're similar age bracket. At least I remember some, a lot of the things. I don't remember people getting into relationships and having politics come between them in my childhood, in the eighties and the nineties. I don't remember that being a thing. Is that, is that something that's new to this country? I think it is. I think that people are choosing their partners based on their political beliefs, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, you got to live with this person. And if you're not on the same page politically, 
And, you know, I hate to use the word politics, Kyle, because I was just saying this to somebody else, like the state of our country right now, it's a sad state of affairs. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about things with people and you start explaining to them your feelings on what's happening and they put up that, oh, I, I don't like to talk about politics. We aren't talking about politics. We are talking about the future of our country. We are talking about the, the next generation of children. And we're not talking politics. These are things that need to be discussed. So if you're with a partner who is on a totally different page than you, I really don't see how it's going to work. I really don't. I wonder if we're not talking politics at all, if we're just talking about agreed values, like we don't agree what America means anymore. Exactly. It's not politics. It's not a Republican Democrat thing anymore. And I think people need to realize that and start waking up that we need to save our country, politics aside. I have a, uh, a video coming out soon. It's kind of like one of these little uh, animated PragerU type things. And uh, they've done it with one of my sponsors. And, and the fact of the matter is, is it's my belief that uh, progressive leftism is in fact more like a religion than it is a political ideology. And so we're not arguing about you know policy. We're arguing about theology and whether or not the government should be God and make these decisions and whether or not you know God should be God which I think is a conservative position at this point. And so it's it's a theological debate. It's not a political discussion in many ways. I think you kind of landed on there. Um, any I thoughts? agree. It's hard to see it and happen in this country, though, too. It's really hard to see it since we saw it both ways. I think younger people don't know that. No, I agree. And, you know, we talked about this before, and I'm not an overly religious person by any stretch, but when you take God out of the equation, as they have, they removed God from schools, they removed God from... Um, government buildings, you know, they took out the, the the moment of prayer in the morning. When you remove that and you have a generation of kids growing up without it, they don't have the morals that we had growing up. They don't. And their belief system is so different from mine. I, I am floored sometimes when I listen to what they believe. But I, I have to say it's because they didn't have God in their lives and, and they have no moral compass anymore. Mm -hmm. You remember that movie? There was a movie called As Good As It Gets. It had uh, Jack Nicholson in it. Yes. And at one point, there's this great, uh, who is, who's the female lead in there? Is it, uh, is it Helen, Helen Hunt? Helen Hunt is in there. And so he's getting in the car and he's driving with the, the uh, kind of effeminate guy. I can't remember his name. Brad Kinnear, maybe. Or, is that his name? Uh, Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. He's got the dog and he's going to drive them in the convertible or whatever. And at some point mm -hmm. someone says, you know, whatever his character's name is, how do you write women so well? Like you're such a great writer. How do you write women so well? And he has that iconic, fantastic, uh, either late eighties or early nineties nine. He said, well, I think of a man and I take <laughs> away reason and accountability. Right. And, and it just punches you like right in the gut. In my experience, that's actually not how you don't take away women, uh, women's reason and accountability. That's not what women are. But it is what leftists seem to be right now, that you take away reason because they don't seem to make sense to themselves. And accountability is that really big piece. And maybe that's why people send such vitriol. They're not, they don't think they're going to ever account for it. And that's God, by the way. Like God equals accountability at some point for people. Exactly. Exactly. I agree with that completely. And and you see that they're coming out of school. And, and I'm sorry to use the word dumb, but I, I just watched a video last night. Most of them don't know the 50 states. Most of them don't know the first thing about government. They don't know the capitals. They don't know, really, I mean, 
they don't know how to tell time if it's not a, a digital clock. And I'm, I'm wondering, what are you, they don't know how to read cursive. They certainly couldn't uh, balance a check, but. No, they couldn't. What are they learning in school? But boy, do they know the names of all the Kardashians. I mean, we are doomed. If this is the next generation, we are doomed. I was reading somewhere where the number one career that high schoolers are aspiring to have is a social media influencer. This, you're, this you're, blows my mind because got, AI is eliminating so much. What are these kids going to do? Live with their parents the rest of their lives? Make TikTok videos. We, we literally, no. so we got Ryan Matta, who's producing the show, and Ryan and I have had this conversation multiple times offline. Ryan, do you remember what the percentages are of uh, what kids are saying they want to be social media people? It was some horrible number. Yeah, it's 75% of children want to be uh, YouTubers when they grow up. It's it's not all it's cracked up to be, folks. And not everybody <laughs> has the ability to do it. Like, not everybody wants to see you get punched in the nuts over and over again. Jackass was a big thing um, when I was in high school. And I remember thinking that was dumb. But I guess there's a segment of it. We're, we're moving more towards Mike Judge's idiocracy than we are towards some sort of, like, future. It's a dystopia, but it's dumb. It's a sad dystopia. Yes, um, it is. So... Or we, we touched on politics a little bit. Sorry, I got a little commentary, but I feel like it's always worth to kind of just touch on the, the broader cultural impact of it. Um, Matthew is not a cookie cutter, quote unquote, MAGA person. And I think the way that you've described his life, he's kind of an interesting and unique flower in the world. There's not a lot of people that are like that. We don't know a lot of people. Most people probably don't know someone who's lived in multiple countries and spoken multiple languages and had jobs overseas and all that. That's that's unique. Uh, but a lot of people do have that impact with tragedy. You said he came back home. He's in PA. Uh, what were his political leanings? Why did he get activated into politics at all? And, and where did he start with that? To be honest with you, Matt, you know, like I said, he was never really political. But when Bernie Sanders came on the scene, Matt took a liking to him. Mm -hmm. And we would go back and forth about Bernie Sanders. And um, I think one of the things was, you know, that Bernie was supportive of his, his college, you know, being free for everybody or and, and Matt, who loved to learn and wanted to get other degrees, just did not want to take on the expense that it that it would incur to get another degree in something. And I think he leaned towards a lot of the things that Bernie Sanders supported. And um, he took a lot of flack for that because we just thought Bernie was crazy. And then when President Trump came on the scene and he had that very first debate with Hillary Clinton and just the way that that President Trump speaks and his um, no holds barred and saying the things that everybody wants to hear. Matt was Matt was enamored with him and he read his book and he he started sh showing support for President Trump at that point. And he he wanted him to win. And when he won that presidency, when he won that election, Matt was just elated. And Matt's, Matt's businesses were doing fantastic during President Trump's um, four years. And, and he was a huge fan. He was a huge supporter. He was exactly what this country needed in Matt's eyes. And, and he made no bones about wearing his Make America Great Again hat and supporting him as much as he could on his social media sites. But he wasn't like constantly, constantly preaching politics or, or anything about Trump on his Facebook if you were to see Matt's Facebook, it, it really was about love and acceptance and and doing the right thing and living your life in a way that you, you should be proud of or your parents would be proud of. It was not all about politics with him. He he just 
he loved everybody too. And even though Matt was a Trump supporter, he was very open to people who were Democrat and other and and people of other religions and other you know races. He had no. He had not one ounce of racism in him, which is ironic because they think everybody from January 6th was racist. Yeah, we'll have to break into that because I don't understand where that narrative came from. And, and I lived in D.C. at the time that January 6th happened. Um, I'm curious, after that first debate, because because going from Bernie to going to Donald Trump sounds like a political 180. It sounds like a kickflip like you do on a, on a skateboard where you turn around and go mm-hmm. the opposite direction. I think that's what a kickflip is. Sorry. I grew up in the 80s, but I didn't skateboard. Um my, my curiosity is, did you guys have any discussions about that? Uh, did you feel like he was coming back to the fold or did he tell you yeah. what it was that really impacted him in that per- first debate that you just mentioned? He never really said what what it was like the main thing. But I will say this, as I've said about Matt, he researched everything. I mean, everything. So when I say he dove into Donald Trump's life, I'm sure he went way back, way back further than anybody else would. He researched everything about a person before he would um, throw any support behind him. So I think Matt just dug deep and it was a big joke. I said, oh, finally, you've seen the light. And and when I would say that, it's kind of funny because at this point, he knew more about President Trump than I did, mm-hmm. you know, because I know he researched him. Do you think there's a, a common vein of people that dealt with sort of the populism, the, the popularity that Bernie had, which is that he was saying things that resonated with a large group of people? Uh, and the same way that, uh, because he's more, I mean, Bernie for all he is, I think he's kind of a kook, but I know that he's charismatic to people that want to hear that kind of messaging. And I think Trump sort of has that same quality, right? I mean, it's bombastic. It's in your face, non-apologetic, offends certain people. Is that kind of the lure you think? I think so. I think, um, the fact that Donald Trump was not a politician was one of the main things that attracted Matt to him because he was a businessman. Um, multi-billionaire, obviously didn't need to line his pockets while, while being in the presidency. Um, and that, that was attractive to Matt. Matt was never about money. He was never, um, becoming a millionaire was not Matt's goal. Uh, and when I tell you he could have become a millionaire, that's not an exaggeration. Matt gave away more than he kept. Mm -hmm. He helped people all the time. And Kyle, we are still hearing stories from people that Matt helped and not like just on the down low. He didn't, he didn't scream it from the the rooftops that he helped somebody. We're finding out these stories now and it really blows me away. He was just such a generous, kind person. Again, not, not what you'd expect from a January 6th insurrectionist. What do you think about those stories coming out at the same time as people are sending you online vitriol uh, and then people in person kind of telling you the opposite? I wish they could have known Matt. I wish they could have known what we know. I wish they could have seen that he added something to this world. He added something that's that this world just so desperately needs. And we need more mats in this world. We do. And um, I don't know if they're just incapable of listening to reason. I've reached the point where I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. It's too exhausting. We first, uh, you and I first met in person in Houston when they were filming the police state film. I know we had a brief interaction in the hallway and got a hug. Mm-hmm. And then you sat down. I'm guessing your interview with Dinesh D'Souza was quite a bit longer than what was shown in the movie. Is that accurate? Yeah. They could, you know, for time's sake, they could only include so much of it. Of course. What were the high points? Was there anything in that interview that you saw cut from the film that you wish people would know about Matt or about his story 
that didn't get uh, sort of included in the final cut? There was one point when we were talking and um, I think the they had to change out the batteries and the camera or something. And Dinesh and I were talking and they put the batteries back in and we were still continuing our conversation. And I did hear one of them say, roll it. They wanted to catch it on camera. And it was something that I had said to Dinesh. And I, and I truly believe this. I mean this with all of my heart when I tell you this. Matt gave so much to this world. He was such a positive force in this world and was so much better than me in so many ways. He had so much more to offer than I ever could. He had a heart for people that I simply don't have. If I could trade places with him right now, I would, because this world needs him more than it needs me. I mean that, Kyle. Mm -hmm. That's how strongly I feel about the loss of, of Matt. He was much more needed in this world than I ever will be. And I feel sad that so many people never got to meet him. There's a, I think a lot of people kind of have that experience that some of these really beautiful creatures that exist in the world exist for too short a time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we probably all have one example or another in our lives and it, it doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just, uh, we don't have to understand it. That's, that's the only upside to a, to a faith in God is that you don't have to know what the plan is. There is a plan. You'll figure it out later. Um, or right. maybe you won't find it out until after you die, but that's kind of what we believe as Christians, which is the solace. And I don't think that maybe that's why they're so angry on the left, that they don't have that. They don't have that faith that they can at least lean on it. I, I wonder if you'll talk about the circumstances. First of all, what happened, where he was at on January 6th, the, the details of his case. A lot of these things, they're not all the same. Uh, everybody had a unique experience, just like if you go to a protest and there's 500,000 people, there's 500,000 stories. You just see a big crowd. Matthew was one person in a crowd. Can you tell the story about what happened on January 6th, 2021? And we'll move forward with how that changes the, uh, the rest of his life. He went to January 6th with some friends and... He thought, he thought like it was going to be a, a day of celebration and he wanted to be part of it. He had been to several Trump rallies prior to that and just expected it to be pretty much like, like any of the other rallies he had gone to. But in this case, he was hoping that Mike Pence was not going to certify the election. And, you know, he was going to be celebrating in the street with all these other people who believe the same as he did, that the election was stolen. And um, it didn't happen that way. And they, he went into the Capitol through an open door. He was in a group of people pushing from behind. And there were police in there, but they pretty much stepped to the side. And he walked through, and he was filming with his phone for Facebook Live. He was in there for 14 minutes. He didn't touch anything. He didn't break anything. He didn't hurt anyone. And he walked out. He went back to his hotel room. He did another Facebook video that um, talked about the day. That video is actually on my website. You could watch it. And Matt's demeanor in the video was very calm and very cool. And I mean, it wasn't like he was somebody who had just come from this, this insurrection and he was pumped up and angry. It, that wasn't it at all. He was very calm and he was talking about the day. And uh, he said in the video, don't worry, this isn't over yet. Um, Mike Pence did prove himself to be a traitor, but don't worry, it's not over. And that was all he said in it. Mm -hmm. About a week later, I was sitting on my couch 
and I was on Facebook and somebody had posted a link that there were people from January 6th whose pictures were on the FBI website. So I clicked on the link and I was scrolling through the pictures and I came across Matt's picture on the website. And I, I just, oh my gosh, dread just came over me. And I called one of my brothers up in Pennsylvania. I said, we have a problem. Matt's picture is on the FBI website for January 6th. He went to Matt's house at six o'clock that morning and Matt had already known about it. And Matt called a former um, police officer who was retired and asked him what to do. And he said, you should call the FBI office in Newcastle, Pennsylvania and tell them who you are. So at nine o'clock that morning, Matt called the FBI office and told them who he was. And they were going to send a couple of agents out the next day to talk to him. And um, that's what they did. They came out to my brother's house and they interviewed Matt for a little over an hour. And he thought it was a misunderstanding. He thought, let me just tell these guys what happened. I didn't break anything. I didn't see any signs. You know, by the time Matt was there, there were no barriers around the Capitol. So he didn't see a barrier that he was crossing. And he thought that he would tell them what happened and that would, that would be the end of it. But there was something in my heart that told me that was not the end of it. So I booked a plane ticket to fly home. I said, we need to get you an attorney. And we asked several people that um, about, a, about a criminal attorney. And we were given the name of this guy in Ohio. And we had a meeting with him. And when we pulled up to his, his uh, office, there was a Biden sign in the yard in front of his office. Hmm. And I said, Matt, I don't, I don't like those sounds of this. He said, let's hear him out first. Let's, let's go hear him out. I don't like the looks of it. I, I, I really have a bad feeling. He said, no, no, Aunt Jerry, let's give, him, let's give him a fair chance. As I said, Matt just did not judge people based on their political beliefs or anything. So we walked in there and Matt liked him. He was a very gruff person, but he had 52 years of criminal justice experience. And he kind of blew it off. He said, this is no big deal. These are these are misdemeanors because that's what they were going to charge him with were misdemeanors, Pre you know, parading, trespassing. He said, this is a slap on the wrist. Well, it was later, about a week later, they slapped 220 of these same J6 people with the um, felony charge. But let me backtrack. The FBI showed up a second time and they arrested Matt at his house with the four misdemeanors. What did that look like? And they took him into the Newcastle office and they um, kept him for three hours and they released him. And it was, like I said, a week later, they came back with the felony charge, but he was never taken into custody at that point. Mm -hmm. let, me, let, me, uh, let, let me dig into something just a little bit, because I think it's going to be poignant for the audience. We had uh, my friend Gerardo Boyle on who sits and has the same sort of experience with me, a, a deep and abiding distrust right now for the FBI, which I'm sure you have a a similar one. And we discussed that feeling of dread. You, you, you named it dread. Can you tell people what that felt like in your, just describe the feeling of what it is to have that sensation? Well, you know, as I said, I've had, I have several nephews and nieces and brothers and none of us have ever had any trouble with the police at all. I mean, no arrests of any kind to see my nephew's picture on an FBI website 
was like a feeling of fear that I have never known before. I, I, I just, it gave me a, a very bad feeling like this is not going to end well. And the fact that he was on there with dozens and dozens of other pictures, I, it just came to me like at that point, like, why do they have all these photographs of these people? There is something more to this. This is not just some random picture of Matt at the Capitol. This is planned. And um, I knew that because of that, this was not going to be over. This was not going to be a slap on the wrist. This was not going to have a good outcome. And they, they came in, first of all, it's, it's worth people understanding too. The FBI came in, did the arrest over misdemeanors, right? And they did a process, mm-hmm. took him to the, uh, either the field office, the resident HC office, did a processing. He was out a couple hours later. Yes. And, and I will use this as a moment to advocate on behalf of people for their own safety, because I've had private conversations with my friends who feel like this could be a reality for them. They're like, I'm not going to jail. I'm not going to go sit in the gulag. I'm shooting it out. And, and the answer is like, don't do that. Don't, don't start there. Like number one, those agents are not really your problem, but moreover, the odds are is you're, you're home by the end of the day. My wife and I had this conversation last night, almost through tears for on her end. It's like, if they come for me and I don't know why they would, but I just don't trust them. And I think they could, I'm going to go to jail. It'll be fine. I'll be, or no, it won't even be jail. I'll go sit in a room with them and I'll tell them to, you know, I want to call an attorney and I'll, and I'll come home. It'll be okay. I'll be wearing nothing but tiny boxer shorts and a pair of cowboy boots or something. I'll do something obnoxious because they got to deal with that. They got to deal with me having no shirt. I'm not going to put on clothes for them. Um, but you come home and he came home. You knew it wasn't over. Did did Matthew think that it was over? Did he think like, hey, this is all wrapped up. It's all going to be good. Did he have that that happy attitude or did he start feeling your dread, do you think? Well, like I said, when he was arrested and um, came home, at that point, he still only had the four misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. And it was a few days later that they added the felony. And that's when it got it got very serious. What was that conversation like, if you know? Was it, was it through his attorney? Did they call him up? Was it How did they serve him with yes. the idea that he was going to I believe have- it was through the attorney. It was through the attorney. And at that point, I was scrambling because... Um, Different people had sent me videos and things of Matt that day because, first of all, Facebook took took his account away from him. They had taken the video that he had posted um, at the Capitol. They took the video of him at the hotel down. Um, So we didn't have access to those at that time. But somebody had sent me video of Matt outside of the Capitol. And it was 2.58 in the afternoon. And I said, okay, so you were outside. You had not yet gone into the building and Congress had adjourned at 2.15. So there's no way, there's no way they can, they can stick this obstruction of Congress charge on you. You weren't even in the building mm-hmm. until like 45 minutes later. And so I, you know, sent that over to his attorney and I said, here, this is, this is your answer right here to the obstruction charge. He wasn't even in the building. And his attorney said, it's not gonna matter. I said, what do you mean it's not going to matter? It's proof right there he wasn't in the building. And they said, they're not looking at that. It's still They're still going to go with the obstruction charge. And I couldn't understand that for the life of me. I thought we had a piece of evidence there that proved that he wasn't in the building during a, co- a session of Congress. But it didn't matter. And I knew, I knew at that point that nothing he said or did was going to make a difference. You think Matthew knew that too? Yes, because he got... 
he got consumed with worry. I mean consumed. I made several trips home during that year, and it was just to be there to help with damage control. And one of the times I went home, we couldn't find Matt. He was not answering his phone. He was not at his house. I was cooking dinner for my whole family to come over, and Matt was supposed to be there, and we couldn't find him. And we were, we were very worried about him that day. It was in the middle of the winter, and he told us where he was at. He texted that he was at Cook's Forest, Pennsylvania. And we later found out he was gonna jump off the bridge. But we were able to talk him down and bring him home. And as hard as we tried, we would feel like we were getting somewhere with him and he was showing signs of you know, reason and that there is hope. And then he would see something on the news another bunch of people arrested for January 6th, and it would bring him right back down again. And the postponements and delays were constant in his case. He would get himself all ready, and at the time it was COVID, so all of his meetings were via Zoom. Mm -hmm. He would get himself all ready, get his, he'd have to go out to his attorney's office where they would have a Zoom call with the court, with the DOJ, and, and Matt would get his suit on, and and get all prepared mentally for it. And a half hour before, he'd get a phone call and say, oh, don't bother coming out, Matt. They, they postponed the hearing. They canceled it. It's three weeks from now. And then he would get ready, you know, he would be brought down all again, and then he would have to build himself up for the next meeting, and um, they would cancel it again. And they kept saying it was a delay in discovery. And I said to Matt, I says, Matt, it's a delay in discovery because they haven't discovered any evidence on you yet. I said, so the longer these get postponed, the better it is for you, because it shows us that they don't have the evidence that they, you know, that they thought they did. I think they arrested you first, and then they were going to find the evidence. And lo and behold, there wasn't much to find. He wasn't affiliated with any Proud Boys or any, any militia groups of any kind. He had nothing on his phone or laptop that incriminated him in any way. It was clean. And, um, but it just wasn't enough. He had this looming fear over him. People in the, in the media were talking 20 years in prison for um, obstruction of an official proceeding. And Matt was worried. He was so worried. And as time went on, he wouldn't go out of his house. He wouldn't go in public. He gave his television away. He didn't want to watch the news anymore. He didn't want to see his picture on the nightly news because the local media was brutal, as well as the local newspaper. Mm-hmm. And if he did meet a friend, he would, he would meet them an hour outside of town for coffee because he didn't want to be seen. He was so embarrassed. And his dad's health was declining because of the stress of the situation. And that was weighing on Matt something awful. He had this tremendous amount of guilt because he could see the physical effects on his dad. And that was the last person he wanted to hurt. And um, Christmas was coming. And just before Christmas, he said to his attorney, I I need this to be over. What what can I do to make this over? And his attorney says, "You, you need to plead guilty. And Matt said, fine. 
then I'll plead guilty. He says, knowing that you're your dad's caregiver, knowing that you've never been arrested, knowing that you turned yourself in. He said, these will all weigh very positively on your case. And I feel that you'll get six to 12 months in a prison camp, minimum security. And so Matt agreed and he pled guilty on December 21st. And he came down to Florida. He drove down to see his girlfriend and then he was coming to our home here. And he came here on Christmas night. He was here for four days with us and he cried the entire time he was here. He was just broken. He was so skinny. He no longer cared about eating healthy. He was drinking Dr. Peppers like crazy, which that was something Matt hadn't had in probably 15 years. Right. He was on this like self-destructive path. He just didn't care. But he was still going to turn it into a positive. He told me he was going to help his fellow inmates obtain their GEDs and maybe work on another degree himself while he was in. He had somebody lined up to take care of his cat while he was going to be away. And um, they were going to stay at his house and keep his house for him so he wouldn't lose his rental home. And he had it planned out. And then in February, um, he was it was the last week of February. His hearing was supposed to be March the 3rd. What was the and hearing he, for? It was for his sentencing. Got it. So he's pled guilty. He said, got it. You broke me. Um, I'm I'm on board. I'm going to do some time for this. Like I'm giving you the pound of flesh that you're asking for, uh, for whatever that cost him, which sounds like it was a lot. And then, then the question is, what is the government going to agree to, or what is the judge going to actually assign based on the government recommendations? Correct. Exactly. Okay. And like I said, his attorney kept saying six to twelve months. And which then, is a, which uh, is a hope in your head. You get yourself married to the idea. It's like okay, I could do a year. It's right. Gonna be rough. So well, he was telling him, you have a sympathetic prosecutor and you have a sympathetic judge. Mm -hmm. So you have two things in your favor. And um, so Matt was expecting this to be the six to 12 month sentence. But a week before his sentencing hearing, he called his attorney and he said, I've got a really bad feeling about March the 3rd. He says, you know, I, they scheduled it on the day of my mother's death. That's the anniversary of her death. And I don't believe that was a coincidence. I believe they scheduled it on that date on purpose. And his attorney says, well, I've got, I've got bad news for you, Matt. First of all, they've postponed the hearing to April Fool's Day. And second of all, the prosecution is seeking to add a sentencing enhancement of terrorism. And if, you know, they're going to present this at the, at the hearing. And it basically would try to sway the judge into giving Matt more time in jail. And Matt called me on the phone. It was in the afternoon and I, I didn't even, couldn't even understand him. He was stuttering so bad and sobbing so hard. It was the most heartbreaking conversation I had had with him up to this point. And he said, I must be guilty, Aunt Jerry. They keep telling me I'm guilty. Even his attorney had said, man, you're, you're going to have to man up and, and, and take, take the, your punishment on this. And I said, he said that to you? And I couldn't believe it. His own attorney said that to him. It's like everybody had just turned against him. And Matt said, 
they're going to put me away for a long time. I know they are. I know they are. I said, Matt, please, you have faith in God. I said, let's wait and see what happens. Don't, don't jump the gun here. We're going to, we're going to pray. We're going to have faith. Like you've had faith. God is not going to see you fall. And he told me he was crying. He says, Jerry and Jerry promise me, promise me you'll get my dad to move to Florida. And I said, Matt, I'm doing my best there, but I was not quite understanding where he was going with it. And then he says, Aunt Jerry, I'm so sorry you lost all of your friends because of me. And I said, Matt, don't worry about them. They weren't friends. They weren't friends. He said, no, he says, I I lost your friends for you. I embarrassed you and, and caused you so much grief. And I said, no, Matt, you're more important to me than anybody else. And I said, I love you so much. I said, we're going to get through this. He said, I love you too, Aunt Cherry. And he hung up the phone. That was on a Monday. That Friday at six o'clock in the evening, my phone rang and it was one of my brothers. And he said, you need to come home. He said, Matt just hanged himself in his garage. It's awful. It's truly awful. And it's, and even in that compassionate sort of sensation that he had, he was trying to organize all the things to to be to be ready for. I mean, he took it on himself. It sounds like he took all the burden. Yes, I've I've been to these scenes. It's the it's the saddest thing. You go there, somebody who who's been spiraling, and everyone can see it. Nobody can see it until after the fact. They go, God, of course, but nobody knows. Um, you can never know what's going on in someone's head and how desperate it must have felt. And I'm sure it must have felt absolutely desperate because you have the whole weight of the federal government on him. His country had turned on him, mm-hmm. the country he loved. Yeah. His government failed him. What so about, many people failed him. What about the prosecutor? I know you've had some poignant moments. Did you, how did that, you had a conversation with the prosecutor at some point. How did that come about? After Matt died, I wanted the paperwork from his case. Mm-hmm. And I had one of my brothers go to his attorney's office and request all of the paperwork and it, it wasn't complete. I know it wasn't complete, but there was a lot of email exchanges and, and motions that were filed, and it was all thrown into this box, and it was all mixed up. And I honestly believe it was on purpose because I don't believe his attorney did his job. I don't. But I got this box of paperwork, and it was just a mess. And I sat here one day, and I was spreading it all over the floor in my bedroom, trying to put it in chronological order. And I came across this one email from the prosecutor to Matt's attorney, and it had his name and phone number on the, on the paper. And I didn't think twice about it. I picked up the phone, I dialed the number, and I left a voicemail for him. And about an hour later, I get a phone call back, and it was an operator. She said, this is an operator in the prosecutor's office. and. I want you to know that you are on a recorded line with several witnesses. And I was thinking to myself, fine. You know, what, what do you think that I'm going to do? That is really strange just, just yeah. for what it's worth. Cause I've called AUSAs many times. I've never had anybody say that. I don't know that they record them, but they obviously set this thing up to do that. Exactly. They knew who they were calling. Right. Okay. And so I thought to myself, well, I know what to say and what not to say. And I'm certainly not going to make a threat that's not in me, Kyle. I'm not the type of person that's going to threaten anybody. Um, so it took a couple of minutes and the prosecutor picked up the phone and I told him who I was, which I know he knew who I was. And um, 
he says, well, let me just start off by saying that um, myself and many people in our department, and I'm assuming he means the Department of Justice, were very saddened to hear that Matthew took his life. And I said, you and the people in your department are the reason Matthew took his life. And I said, I don't understand for the life of me, knowing everything about my nephew's case, how you could have come up with this enhancement for his sentencing hearing, this terrorism enhancement. And he said, if Matthew just could have waited another month until his hearing, I don't believe the enhancement would have stuck with his judge. And my heart, I was, I, I can't even tell you, it was just empty. Because at that point I knew that this was just an idle threat that they made. And my nephew acted upon that threat. And this guy didn't even think it would have stuck. It was political posturing. Yes. And I said, do you understand that it was that threat that caused my nephew to hang himself? I said, what is wrong with you? What did he say? I said, these are human beings mm -hmm. that you're dealing with. And our family is never going to recover from this. And I hope that when you go to bed each night, my nephew, Matthew Perna, will be the last person you think of every night when you close your eyes and the role that you played in his death. And I hung up. No response. You didn't, you didn't hear anything responded. What? How do you think that was received out of curiosity based on the tone of voice that you heard earlier? You know, unless I was talking to Satan himself, that man had to be affected by my phone call. He had to have. And another thing that I did after, I think it was after that phone call, I sent a letter to Matt's judge, registered mail. I wrote him a letter. I told him who I was. I told him about Matt and what a wonderful person he was. And I asked that judge in, the, in my letter if he would please start looking at these people as human beings and treating them as such and understanding that they have families who love them and that one moment of, uh, of a mistake in their life shouldn't cost them what it cost my nephew. And I said, please, I beg you, in the future when these people come across your court, have mercy on them, the mercy that wasn't shown to my nephew. I don't know if that impacted any anything, but I will say this. There was a person that reached out to me on Twitter about a month ago. Young guy with two children and a beautiful wife. And he reached out to me because he had the same charges as Matt did. And he felt very desperate. And I get a lot of these, Kyle, there were people from January 6th are so desperate. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, please, taking your life is gonna leave a, a, a destruction in your family that they will never recover from. You don't wanna do that. And this guy had two beautiful children and a wife. Matt didn't have any children. He wasn't married. 
I can't imagine the impact that would have on, on this guy's wife and children. He says, well, the reason I feel such a connection to Matt is because I have his same judge. He said, I have the same charges and I'm feeling just as desperate as he is right now. And I told him I would be praying for him and I would, I, I, and I was here for him if he needed me. I said, please update me once you have your sentencing. He got back with me the day of his sentencing. The judge gave him 12 days in prison, in jail, and a $5,000 fine. And in as much as I was happy for this guy, there was this huge selfish part of me that was so pissed. Was Matt gonna get 10 days in jail, 12 days in jail, 30 days? if he just stuck it out? Or is it possible that my letter to the judge changed his outlook on these people from January 6th? Yeah. And I will never know. And as happy as I wanted to be for this man, I was, I was jealous for Matt, if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense, actually. And there's something to be said, I mean, like I said, a lot of times we see things in the rearview mirror that we can't see when it's happening. You told us a story about Matthew's life. You told us about how he was willing to lose his job, his temporary comfort, something he wasn't into. He didn't he didn't need it. He didn't need the job, but it was a job and it was paying him. And he said, no, no, no take me, save this person. And in some ways we can see a parallel in a much bigger way, obviously, with, you know, is that a sacrifice that he was put on the earth to be making and save this man with these kids? You know, maybe that's some peace. It's horrible. It's May such a, it's such a hopeless scenario, to imagine the weight of the federal government, and it's, and so many of these people, I think, are in. Uh, they're all by themselves, and that's the scary thing. Um, there's not another person that is experiencing exactly the same police state action. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tie this back in, but there's, they're not experiencing it. It's, the, it's the, the saving grace for me and my friends. I've, I felt those feelings of dread. My buddies and I are all carrying the same boot at the same time. And there's more of us. And Matthew was all by himself and got crushed, literally crushed, um, emotionally and 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 physically, and, and wasn't able to to bear the weight, which is incredible. I mean, nobody can know it until you know it. An unknown amount of time with an unknown amount of un you know non-human interaction. It's, we talked about social media earlier, Zoom calls to decide your fate for God knows how long. Right. It's so impersonal and it's so inhuman. It's the opposite of what our our, our scenarios and our and our government was set up to do you know, of the people, by the people, with a jury of your peers. It's none of that. Uh, that didn't happen for him, you know? No. And it doesn't, and the doesn't feel like justice at all. Try these people, they're, they're not given their due process. Right. You're talking about people who have haven't had their court day in court yet. It's been almost three years. There are people that are sitting in jail waiting for their court hearings when under normal circumstances, they would not have been sentenced as long as they've been sitting in jail. I mean, it's it's beyond the scope of um, your constitutional rights. We're past that. They're they're being ignored completely. Yeah, this is a human you dignity issue. None. Yeah, it's not about what something in the Bill of Rights says, which is pretty it's pretty formalized. We're talking about what's no. decent and what's okay, what's right and righteous. And the other thing is this, Kyle. They're pleading guilty because they're not going to receive a fair trial in D.C. Right. And you know, um, 
Louis Gohmert drafted the Matthew Lawrence Perna Act of 2022, and Marjorie Taylor Greene had co-sponsored the bill. And part of that bill includes allowing for a change of venue, because these people that have been charged in January 6th are being made to have their trials in D.C., a Democrat city. They're not going to have a fair trial. And so they're pleading guilty. And I believe with all my heart, this is exactly what the Department of Justice wants. They want you to plead guilty. They want you to admit you did something wrong, even if you know in your heart you didn't. And and what's the first person, the pe- first thing the people on the left say? Well, they pled guilty. They must have done it. I still get it on my Twitter feed. Well, he pled guilty. Your, son, your nephew's guilty. He was just a coward. And that's why he killed himself, because he didn't want to serve out his sentence. Those are the behavior. kind of comments I get. Yeah, it's it's soulless. I mean, it really is. It's just absolute goolery. But the the sad thing is, is those are the same people that would say just because someone pled guilty and if they were black, they would they would lionize them and say, well, that's because the weapon weaponization of the justice system against them. It's there's, a double standard. There, there, there's no reason or accountability, as we said earlier. And and unfortunately, it's like we have to win, and the way we win is on top of the lives of people who. By all accounts, it sounds. Was Matthew? Was he ever in a fight that you know of? Did he ever get in a physical altercation with anybody? No. You know, and did he show up to fight on a, on that day? You know, the videos you see of him. Was he getting combative with people? No, he had an American flag, and he had a a, a MAGA hat on. Right. He didn't show up. With, he didn't show up with plate carriers and 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 body armor and, and an AR-15 Nothing. strapped across his chest. He wasn't there to take over something. I mean, we hear these stories. I like I said, it was obvious to me as someone who was investigating. I mean, I don't know what I would call it. I was just getting leads. It was leads from people who just were just seemed like assholes in the world. And they were just saying horrible things about people that they barely knew. We'd get them in and it's like, this is trash. Why would you investigate this? And a fundamentally unfair process has been taking place on there. It's why we keep sharing these stories. I've had the Proud Boys on that were sentenced to unbelievable amounts of time, 25 mm-hmm. years, 32 years. You know, we brought them on for the same reasons. It's like, how do, how do you even square that? When we know that people that have raped children are are out, or people that have done child pornography, made it, distributed it, shared it, they're in the months. They're they're measuring their sentences in months, and they've irreparably yeah. damaged things that will never be right. Like children that'll never be right. No, and they and and they're getting that slap on the wrist that Matt was promised a right. slap on the wrist. How do you? No, this is unprecedented. How do you go? How do you go through your day? I mean, how do you go through your day? Can you forgive these people? Um, can you forgive the people that were involved in this? Are you, is that something you're working towards? You know, they say you have to forgive your enemies. You have to forgive them. I find it very difficult. I want to see justice. I don't mean um, in a monetary way. I want to see the people accountable, held accountable. I want to see that in, in my lifetime. I would love to see the truth come out and the people behind this entire setup be exposed. But I think you and I both know that's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. So I guess maybe someday I'll have forgiveness in my heart for what was done to him. Um, But it's not anytime soon. This is all too fresh. Our family has to live with this every day. You know, everybody has a little bit of guilt in them. I should have done more. I wish I could have been there or maybe had... For myself, when I talked to him on the phone that day, I should have booked a plane ticket. I should have flown home. But who's to say that the minute I got back on a plane to come home, 
he wouldn't have done it then. I couldn't be there to hold his hand 24 hours a day. Right. And I feel guilty about that. So I try to help other J6ers as best I can. And, you know, I was on Twitter this last month and I made, I put a tweet out there that if anybody needs somebody to talk to from January 6th, please just send me a DM. And somebody came on and said, well, you weren't, you didn't have a very good track record with your nephew. Why would they bother? And I just, there's days I'm, I'm defeated. Yep. There are days I am so defeated. But there are days I am so angry that I will, I will fight as hard as I can. And so it's a roller coaster. Yeah, and it's probably going to be like that for a long time. I think. I'm, I think uh, mm-hmm. you're you're experiencing something, uh, and, I, and I think this tells an important story because I think a lot of people probably were like, well, "Why? Why is his aunt the one talking?" I, I'm glad that we were able to put that out there. Like I said, I haven't heard it anywhere else. I knew there was the story there behind it. I wanted people to be able to experience that at least a little bit of how close your connection was. Uh, and, and that, uh, your sister-in-law was, uh, you know, someone that was that close to you and how you've kind of come to be standing in and, and be an advocate for Matt in his scenario, which is really important. It's, I mean, we can't let these stories fall apart and, uh, and fall away from the, the public. I wonder if you can kind of talk about maybe as a wrap up how, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm looking off cameras. I'm just trying to just kind of compose my thoughts on it, but how does your experience seeing what happened to your nephew affect your view of what this country means to you and your family at this point, and maybe if you can differentiate the difference between what our country is and means and what this government is and does, and maybe you can kind of reflect on that in the, in the nature of, I know we both participated in this movie, Police State. We all have kind of a different experience of what, it, what a police state is and why. So maybe you can kind of wrap it up with that sort of thoughts. I no longer have the pride in this country that I used to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a flag in our backyard that flies and I, I would change the flag out every six months living in Florida. It, it, they don't last quite as long down here with the salt air. Right now my flag is flying completely torn and tattered and I will not take it down. I will not change it to a brand new one because we are a country in distress. Matt's dad's flag is still flying the way Matt put it there upside down in his front yard. The flag flies upside down in my brother's yard right now. I hope to goodness that we get a president in office this next term. Who knows what they're doing? I hope it's President Trump. I hope he pardons the January Sixers. Not that it's going to give them back their lives, but at least it'll exonerate them. We are in a police state. We're not headed towards one, we are in one. And I think it's so subtle at times that people don't realize it. They don't realize the censorship is all part of a police state. It's no different than visiting a communist country. I was in Cuba a few years ago. We went down for just a curiosity trip on a weekend, three days in Cuba. I never understood communism until I visited Cuba and how subtle it is. It's not people walking the streets with machine guns and um, body armor antagonizing people. That is not communism. Communism is going to the grocery store and only having one brand to choose from. Communism is not having any internet service. 
or watching television and not knowing if it's a soccer game that's taking place now or was it one from a year ago? The propaganda is, is unbelievable. So when I say we're in a police state here and people are oblivious to it, it, are, it is these subtle things that are taking place that are causing people to not realize that we are, we are limited. We are not free anymore. We're not free to do the things we used to do. We're not free to speak out about anything that we want to talk about, especially if it goes against the grain. We are being watched. And the sooner people wake up, the sooner, the sooner we'll be able to get our country back if it's possible. Mm -hmm. But my flag will stay the way it is until I see a change in this country. And it's a country I could be proud of again. I think that uh, I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. And I think that as long as there's Netflix and there's Uber and there's Uber Eats and Costco is still open, that many people will not have the experience that you and your family have had of what it what it looks like. It is slow and creeping and it's it's insidious and self-censorship. That was something you just said right now. People afraid to talk. I heard Matt Taibbi talk about going to the Soviet Union when he uh, when he used to live over there. And he said it wasn't what people didn't say. Or it wasn't what they said, rather. It was what they did not say, that they would have right. mindless chirping conversations. A lot of what Twitter is such a good name for it. I used to hate the name. But it's mindless chirping a lot of times where people are not saying things of value or of consequence or things that are bearing their soul the way you just said right now that have impact because those they're afraid to. And self-censorship is actually the best tool of the, of the police state because you're censoring yourself. They don't even have to do it. They've already taught you to internalize the censorship. And so they've once that happens and there's fear and it's... It comes from cases like what happened to Matthew, where don't be like him because it'll happen to you next is sort of the, the implicit warning that he has. Exactly. Um, I know what you've said is going to impact a lot of people in our audience. I know that people are going to want to reach out and connect with you both to offer condolences, but also some people are going to be looking for some support. We have some um, some people that are probably facing some tough decisions in the next couple of weeks and months. Can you share uh, ways that you want to be in contact with people, how you'd like people to be able to follow you and, and the website? And I think we have them queued up here so we can show them as you talk about them. Well, you can follow me on, on X. I am under my name, Jerry Perna. I am on Truth Social, Just Jerry 65. And you can visit our website, rememberingmattperna.com, where you can view um, a lot of Matt's photography, the different appearances that I've made, um, updates. We're in the process of starting the Matthew Perna Foundation. Uh, we hope to have that up by the end of the year. We're going to continue Matt's generous legacy um, through the foundation. It won't be political because he wasn't political, but it'll be mostly humanitarian efforts and scholarship funds. Um, also on that website, I would like you to watch that video of him on January 6th, because it is that video that they were using as part of the terrorism enhancement, when he said, this isn't over yet. They took those words out of context from that video, and they said that was a threat to the US government. Of course they did. Yeah, sadly, of course they did. You know, there's no, just, it's soulless, and it's a lack of humor, and it's a lack of just even human experiences. Once again, that dehumanization, anybody who can listen to those things can hear of 10 different things. And, um, I hope that there's a, a thought that that your letter really did change the life for that one family and, uh, and probably others who you won't hear about 
And maybe that's maybe that's the legacy we end on there. I really do appreciate you coming on here. I know we've been meaning to do this for a while, and I appreciate you grabbing me when we were at Miralago and for being brave enough to continue to tell your story. I know this is an advocacy thing for you now and uh, and making yourself available to folks. So Jerry, thanks so much for for coming on. And uh, and I, you know, I wish you peace and we'll be adding you to our prayers as well. And I think a lot of others will. Thank you so much, Kyle, for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. No problem at all. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's uh, Jerry Perna. You can find her website. They're all going to be in the show notes. We appreciate you sticking through and listening to sometimes the hard conversations that we had here. Uh, not all of them are funny games. Yesterday was pretty good, pretty fun. But uh, just like earlier this week, we started off talking about that note of dread when the federal government comes to knock on your door or crush you. What do you do and, and how do you handle it? And you hope that uh, you can that you can look at the example that there is a lot out there. There are people that are pulling for you and that your experience, you're not alone. And uh, please reach out to Jerry. You can reach out to me. Of course, you can reach out to Garrett O'Boyle. You guys know that. Let's plug Garrett's uh, merch real quick here. He's been making these shirts. This is what keeps his time. This is how he keeps himself out of the darkness that is out there. Check out our merch store. It's the-suspendables.com. You can, you're just supporting the, the O'Boyle family. As much as anything else, you're putting him in the basement to go out there and stamp out these shirts instead of thinking about the awful things that are going on in the, in the world and that are happening for his employment, the fact that they left his family homeless uh, in the middle of the winter as winter approaches again. I'd, I'd much rather him be slamming these things out. And of course, our American flags are all upside down, just like Jerry talked about. They're all flying in a state of duress and in distress. Um, they're even sitting here on my coffee mug. It's upside down. The stars are down. They have to be. Um, I will also uh, encourage you guys, if you want to check out our friends, our sponsors at Catholic Vote, you don't have to be a Catholic to know. It keeps you knowing what's going on in the wider world. There is a lot going on in this world. It's worth knowing that the stories are many and uh, the hope is not, it's not fleeting from this country, although we are all obviously dealing with an uphill struggle. So go in them and they are fighting the FBI currently right now. You'll see there's another friend of ours from Police state, Mark Haupt, he's going to be running for office. He's taken his turn where the GOJ came after him, and they are running uh, a campaign right now to unseat a former FBI agent, no less. He's trying to get rid of uh, Representative Fitzgerald in his area so that they can actually start acting on behalf of the American people. So you can support Mark Haupt. You can support Catholic Vote. You can go and give if you want to do a monthly donation or if you want to do a, uh, a one-time. By all means, check them out. And uh, they've been sponsoring the Kyle Serafin Show since you guys have probably started joining us. So we really appreciate them. Uh, that's it. That's all for it, folks. We got one good review. It's a it's a uh, it's a nice review. It's been kind of a rough show to, to watch. I know many of you guys are seeing this and thinking, "Gosh, it's pretty heavy." This is one is uh, coming from. If you leave us a five star review on Apple, we will read them on the show. This one from November fourth, Thumper nine three four three six says there should be a Congressional Medal of Honor for civilians. Five stars. Kyle deserves a Medal of Honor for his courage, going unarmed into a fight in the most dangerous and unprincipled elements of our government. While the bullets may not be flying in his direction, the knives are certainly looking for his back. Each of us, uh, each of these podcasts are awesome in preparation and content and presentation. He's a gift to the nation. Um, a lot of it is because of the, the the gift of the, the the sharing that we get from our guests like Jerry Perna. So we really do appreciate her coming on today. And we appreciate you guys as listeners. We stream the show at 0930 every Monday through Friday, it's 8.30 in Texas, America, Liberty Hill, Texas, where we're coming out of. We will be on here tomorrow with Steve Friend for Friendly Friday, and uh, we'll end the, the week on an aggressive note as we do going into the weekend. Thank you so much for sitting with us and joining us. Follow Jerry, like I said, in the in the show description. You can find all of the contact information that she referenced, and we really appreciate it all. We appreciate you all. God bless you. God bless all these families that are going through so much tough times in this rough, rough, rough moment for our country. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.